0: All right, it'll keep going. All right. How was that? That was good. That was good. But that is like one of the four questions. <laughs> and actually, I got Wait, another that's question. Two, that's two questions, wasn't it? No.
1: Well, or, oh, that was building off of Anna? That was
0: building off of that one. Yeah. That was only one, so. The, the Anna thing, will that
1: help Beverly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll definitely
0: help her. We kind of answered it, but no, it no. wasn't like a. No, that's it's a good question. And again, I think you see. It wasn't as deep. We just went to the two types of profits. That's yeah. all we that's all we kind of hit how, on.
1: like, again, you see how I think through these things and I'm going to be dogmatic where the scripture is dogmatic. But it's 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 hard. It's hard. It's hard to say dogmatically that they didn't receive, you know, revelation. Mm-hmm. Right. Because historically, not in the Bible, but historically uh, people have said, and I think there's some truth to this, that Hannah was a prophet. Because didn't God speak to Hannah? Hannah. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, when she oh, yeah, yeah. when she's there crying out to the Lord because she was barren. Mm-hmm. And what happens? The Lord tells her, you're going to have a son, right? And But
0: that would be kind of the same as Mary, where Gabriel went to her, or Elizabeth. Yeah. And, well, yeah, I could point to uh, John's, Zacharias, Is that Zacharias, or Zachariah. John's dad,
1: John yeah. the Baptist's dad. Yeah. So yeah, I could kind of point that way too. But. Yeah, I, I just want to go back and. I, yeah, so I was I was just wanting to read through that, because because the God um, God didn't necessarily speak directly to Hannah; he spoke through Eli to her. Okay. But that's that's one historically the Jews have called a number of women prophetesses, and Hannah I know was one of them. And yeah, like you said, there could be others that you could label in that and Mary, of course, you know, now again, what she received, did she receive, was it new revelation? Was it continuing revelation from what the Old Testament already said would happen, right? Mm-hmm. The virgin be, will be with child and all of that. So again, you're, you're starting to slice it up and starting to figure that out. Yet God spoke to them, right? He spoke to them through the angel, spoke to them through, uh, and he was giving new revelation, um, in in the sense of what he had already promised in the old was now becoming tr- true and clear, and so yeah, I mean again, that's where it gets a, it does get a little bit clouded, and you're trying to discern this. And obviously, it creates a, it creates a tension when you say a woman prophet, which is what a prophetess is, um, didn't receive didn't receive revelation from God. Mm-hmm. Now you're now you're saying, well, why would we call her a prophet? Okay, so now you are saying then, then she just proclaimed the word. Okay, I can understand that, right? But is that really what the term meant? Like, are we are we trying to take the edge off of it a little bit, mm-hmm. or rather than saying, "Hey," it seems to me that they would have received revelation from God, um, as in the Old Testament, as the Word of God is progressing, and it seemed um, that that is not beyond uh, the norm, and especially in. I mean, for that matter, you can go all the way back to uh, um, uh, Genesis and you can see uh, Hagar who got divine revelation from, from the Lord and very well could have been Christ who spoke to her about Ishmael, right? When she was uh, falling apart and was going to die and the child was going to die, right? And She cries out to uh, to uh, Jehovah Jireh, that's where uh, he even calls out to him as Jehovah Jireh, and mm-hmm. he shows up and tells her, "No, no, your child, your child going to be okay." And this is who he's going to be, and prophesies right. And she mm-hmm. received that from the mm-hmm. Lord, and she was strengthened by that, and and was given even the the blessing of of sustenance and and lived. And so, you know, she's not called a prophet in, in the Bible or prophetess yet. She receives divine revelation, and mm-hmm. so. So, again, I think as you study Scripture and keep looking at it, you'll see certain times where uh, where that was one where it didn't come through a prophet like Hannah and Eli. It came through the prophet Eli or the priest Eli, you could say. Um, but uh, that one there came directly from the Lord, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I th- think you just have to be honest with the text and just say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, this was the, this is what the office of prophet was. Deuteronomy, Exodus, they received direct revelation from God. Mm-hmm. It was perfect, it was infallible, and then they proclaimed it. So were they just proclaimers of that which God had already revealed? Could, could be, and that could be all they were, right? They were there at the temple just singing, proclaiming, declaring, you know, um, or they could have been those that did receive prophecy and were proclaiming it as well. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't negate what the Bible says as it goes forward, right? In progressive revelation, and Paul makes clear what he wants for the church, and that doesn't negate that the gift of prophecy is gone. So whether they proclaimed it, whether they received it, or whether they did both, the gift of prophecy has ended. So it doesn't it doesn't matter now, mm-hmm. right? And so that's that's you see the way I work through that yeah. Bibl- biblically, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. and not. You know trying to sugarcoat it and hide you know and just say no no it can't be that it's like well let's let's be honest with let's be honest with the text here and say we don't know you know in that sense Mm -hmm. good full of sense is that oh yeah is that helpful i Mm -hmm. was gonna i was gonna look it up here because that was one that i was thinking of just a minute ago with um
0: well i got i got some other questions too so Go ahead. I just wanted to look this, this up is, real quick. This is going to be... Uh, let me start the podcast here.
1: This is Truth Talk. Welcome
0: back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the fourth teller of Belcroft Bible <laughs> Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? <laughs> I'm,
1: doing, <laughs> I'm doing really good, and I'm thankful that I get the... undeserved privilege and fearful responsibility to foretell God's word. Yeah, this is... uh, Not foretell. Not foretell. I said foretell. There's no foretelling. No more foretelling (laughs) going on unless you go down and see your local card reader, which is uh, uh, satanic and very bad. Yeah, so
0: uh, thanks for tuning in today, you all. This is uh, um, another uh, of my, (laughs) I would say, stump the pastor type of podcast where I tried to ask him a question to stump him but I have not yet to do that. So we will try again and this is uh another question that I have for him. Um <laughs> Okay, this is uh, let me let me let me let me get you to warm up a little bit and this is the easy question. All right. I so,
1: appreciate you like helping me warm up. I'm tr- I'm trying. No, that's good. I'm trying. That's good.
0: So, uh your very last sermon last year, um you were talking uh wait, out of wait.
1: You said my very last sermon last year. Yeah. Oh, in
0: twenty twenty. In twenty twenty. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's yeah. yeah.
1: So I was trying to remember what year we were, we were in. Yeah. Well, it's all blurry right now. Well, yeah. That just shows
0: that twenty twenty one. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. uh COVID makes everything confusing. So I'm I'm still I'm, I'm living in the fog of COVID. Yeah. So um one of
0: the things that you had, had mentioned, and 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 this it always gets my brain going. Uh, this was back from, uh, December 27th, uh, when you preached, uh, out of Mark chapter eight verses 34 through nine one. Yes. And, uh, which I, I was very shocked that you actually had one sermon. I thought that that could definitely been two sermons. No,
1: actually, uh, believe it or not, in my mind, it should have been four sermons. For each point? For each point. Yeah, if that, I, that if, makes sense. If I had it my way yeah. <laughs> in the sense of if I thought we could absorb that and, and and me and my inabilities as a preacher could actually do it in a way that wouldn't kill us in the sense of like beating a dead horse to the mm-hmm. point of like, all right, let's move on, that's what I would do. I bet you in in the years to come if God gives me maturity and growth – I would be able to do that, and that's what I would expect. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. When I looked at the passage and broke it down, it was like, I want to preach this in four sermons, but honestly, I'm admitting I don't think I have the ability to do that and not belabor the point and bore the people and and, and not handle the Word as the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and just as a word of to all the wannabe preachers and pastors out there, I think you just sometimes you got to be honest with yourself and your abilities and say, you know, as a young pastor and a young preacher, shorter is often better or larger portions is better mm-hmm. if you don't have the ability to take it deep as it should be yeah. without destroying the text or destroying the people. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just being totally transparent and saying, well, if I was a better preacher, I would have preached that in four sermons, well, but I'm not.
0: I saw it. I, and, and you, I, I, to, to your, to your point, what I would say to your credit, I definitely saw your restraint because there Mm. were definitely times where I was like, I know that he wants to go longer on this particular thing, but he wants to just kind of keep it so that he gets through everything. Yeah. And
1: so, and I, again, this is, I guess, I guess we're having pastoral confession now. I guess (laughs) guess that's where we've gone in this podcast. You are the fourth teller. (laughs) (laughs) But it's 2021, but I, uh. No, I yeah. I mean, I understand my nature of preaching is to go long and deep, and because I believe that's the right way, that's the biblical model. But I also understand that that can be to our own detriment, right? And meaning, if I'm if I'm not equipped to do that, or if I'm not uh, ready to do that, then then it's it's a distraction. So my fear as a pastor preacher is always you know this because I say it, I need to be clear and I need to be accurate, right? That's my goal. My goal is not to say something innovative, something, uh, something, bring something novel to provoke your thought or something. My job is simply to deliver the mail. Mm -hmm. It's literally to take the mail that God has already written. It's already written and it's signed, sealed and delivered Mm -hmm. to me. I.e., I've studied it. Now it's my job literally to open up the envelope and read it to you, right? And my job isn't to add words, isn't to add stuff. And uh, and so I've got to be really careful, as all pastors do, that we don't fall into that trap of saying more than God has said, mm-hmm. or the bigger trap, which is what we usually fall in, saying less than God has said. And so that's a fine line that a good preacher walks like a tightrope, most of the time we have a tendency to always say less than God has said because we stay on the surface, right? And in so doing, we fill time with saying more about ourselves mm-hmm. and less about the Word. Illustration. M- yes. My tendency, just because of the nature of who I am and, and my own idiosyncrasies and my own sin and all of that, is to is to say more than God has said and keep going in a direction that God never intended with the text, mm-hmm. and that's why I buffet my body, my mind, uh, beat it up all week long to make sure, what, am I saying what God is saying? Am I actually, and so there are times in which I'm looking at the text going, I know I need to say more, I know I want to say more, I'm just afraid if I say more, I'll lead us in a direction that is inaccurate and unhealthy, mm-hmm. and that's a fear I walk into the pulpit with all the time, and so I only say that as a, as a just, even our listeners, I think every pastor is constantly growing. That's why you need to pray for your pastor. Mm -hmm. The number one thing you can do for him is pray for him. Pray for him in his study, pray for him in his humility, pray for him in his submission to the word, and pray for him to study long, hard, and deep so that he brings you the word of God, not the word of man. And that's it. You should demand that of your pastor. Mm -hmm. Sorry.
0: No, you're good because that is actually uh, where I was going, and oh, in a way, little, uh, little did I know. Yeah, little did you know, but this was actually the the kind of like the uh, I would say what is catapulting us into this discussion or this question, mm-hmm. uh, because of the fact that uh, there are a lot of pastors who would look at the 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 whole book of Mark and or like portions of Mark and be able to preach through it like, a lot quicker yeah. and only pull out certain parts that they feel would be uh, relevant. Yeah. I had, um, I
1: had one local pastor who is taking his staff through the book of Mark, and and uh, he said that uh, he felt like Mark didn't really have much to say. Wow. And you know what? Two you know, years later. <laughs> knowing, knowing that pastor, I would say from where he is, that, yeah. that would be about— where his perspective is and and there's a sense in which he's utterly wrong of course I'm not denying that and he, and I pray by God's grace he will mature and realize that but there is a sense in which it is right for young guys to not try to not try to be something than the, than they're than they're not right don't try to be something you're not don't try to don't try to take your people beyond what you can take them mm-hmm. don't try to take them beyond where you are mm-hmm. right because if you can't you can't and if you try to you're going to fail and you're going to you're going to you're going to be a boring pitiful preacher rather than being what you should be mm-hmm. which is just let the word out and if all you can do is preach you know a, a lighter sermon and a shorter sermon and larger texts well, at the beginning of your ministry that's okay because that's where you are mm-hmm. and that's why 1 Timothy 6 is one of my most encouraging passages to young pastors or want pastors or or aspiring pastors is let them see your growth mm-hmm. and uh, charles spurgeon used to say you should write out your sermons for the first five years word for word verbatim and then take the next five years and weep over them for how weak and feeble <laughs> and shallow they were and he's totally wow, right that's crazy. i look back over the years at, at my early years and preaching and looking and i'm just like are you kidding me i mean really john macarthur so one of the greatest expositors in our day said when he preached through the gospel of John, which he did early on in his ministry. John? Yeah, yeah. So when he he preached through the gospel of John early on in his ministry, and and, and, I mean, he said this to us in pastoral meetings, and then he went back and revisited it, and he looked at some of those sermons and thought, how did I preach that whole passage in one sermon? Mm. He said, I couldn't do that now. Mm -hmm. Of course, because that's where he was. And that's where the church was, right? right? That right. was all they could absorb, and that was all he could feed them. And so there's a there's a right sense of a pastor matures, a body matures. They need more, right? It's like children. All they can have is a few green beans and a and a few. And you um, got to mash those up. Yep, yep. But mm-hmm. as they get older, right? Like mm-hmm. my son, he has first breakfast, second breakfast, third (laughs) breakfast, third (laughs) breakfast becomes first brunch, second brunch, fourth brunch, and then it's first lunch. I mean, but that's how a body grows too. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, it's so important. So important. Sorry to take us down that rabbit trail.
0: You're good. And, and I noticed that even with uh, reading through scripture, Like, there was a point in time in my life where reading through scripture, it was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't really get much out of that. And then I read it again later, and it's like, wait a minute, that's there? And then I hear it preached on, and it's like, oh, man, there's so much more there. So now I got to go back and read that passage or that book or something like that. So, yeah, completely understand that. Now, the reason why I even brought up the preaching was, you know, obviously that was a squirrel trail that we went down. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but. You know, the the thing that stuck out to me in the beginning, and usually I just write questions in the margin of my uh, notes, uh, is that you mentioned a concept that is very, very regular yeah, in or would have been regular in my upbringing. So uh, church goes, and I think I've mentioned it before, that my old pastor used to take his lapel mic off and speak really, really tightly into the mic and really softly. And if you're here today... And God is tugging at your heart. Like you did the Christmas readings. I, okay, <laughs> see. First of all, let me be very clear about what happened there. I got up very early in the morning. <laughs> it was it was very early in the morning. drew me in, brother. Drew I, that's, me that's the whole point. It drew me in. Beverly is like, oh, can you turn this off? I don't like it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why are you talking like that? You don't regularly talk like that. I was like, it's a scripture reading. It's different than a conversation. I don't talk to to now Matt, <laughs> i have a question for you i don't do that but anyway sorry, sorry. <laughs> see those squirrel trails are great so um i was saying that because like he does that he he pulls the, the, the lapel mic off and then he starts it and then after he does an altar call and the, the the altar call uh we've covered it and we will be covering it later uh more in the charismania uh episodes that are coming up um me uh myself and uh and Kelly um or Kelly and I to all you people who you know love to correct my english so <laughs> so when he did that what he would do is he would go and the next call would actually be for uh people to Uh, rededicate their lives Mm -hmm. to christ so it's you're in a backslidden position this is what he would say if you're in a backslidden position you're a backslidden state yeah and you you know you're now ready to come home yeah and you've you've run away from your calling or you've run away from jesus excuse me and now you want to come back come now that's what he would say yeah I want to get a biblical perspective on the idea of rededicating your life to Christ.
1: Yeah. Okay. So is that the question? For now. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It might change as you start talking. Yeah. So I did bring that up in the sermon a couple times, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I was trying to figure out, all right, what's he going to ask me that I brought up in the sermon that,
0: about but, that? Because yeah. that in my brain, that is like when you do. If I was to do an altar
1: call, you yeah. know, twenty years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would do today. that. Yeah, yeah, still but e, a lot. yeah. Even now, it does so, that. So a couple things. Let me put it in context so that it's clear for those who haven't listened to the sermon or don't understand the context of Mark eight and what we're dealing with there. So uh, in Mark 8, um, Jesus Christ is giving what is emphatically, undeniably, the most radical call ever given, the call to deny yourself, take up your cross, and abandon everything, everyone, including oneself, one's life, one's family, uh, one's desires, dreams, everything. Abandon everything, die to self for the sole purpose of following Christ in his walk, in his word, in his mission for his glory. I mean, there's no call like that. No, Nobody, nobody has given a call like that. Nobody hears a call like that. What Christ demands of his followers is unlike any other, and that is the call of the gospel. The call to follow me, i.e. that Christ said over and over and over again, is the call of the gospel, right? So, um, that's the context, that's what we're dealing with. The problem that has to be addressed when you deal with Mark 8 and that call is, is that a call for, here's the word, a higher level of discipleship, or is that a call of a biblical true discipleship, i.e. salvation? The problem is the modern church, the American modern church, has fallen prey to this false teaching that you can be saved and not a disciple, okay? Um, The Bible never teaches that. To be saved is to be a disciple, and to be a disciple is to be saved. Doesn't mean that that the term disciple isn't used in the Bible at different times for false believers. It is. We see that multiple times. So just because you see the word disciple every time in the Bible doesn't mean believer, right? You can have false disciples. We know Judas clearly was one who was called a disciple and he turned out to be a charlatan, right? We see that multiple times because the term itself simply means learner, right? It simply means one who has attached himself to somebody else so that he might learn from him and follow him. But when Jesus is giving the call, to discipleship, which is what Mark 8 is all about. It's the call of the gospel because that's what the gospel is. I mean, it can't get any clearer than Matthew chapter 28, where the church is called to what? The ministry of discipleship. That is the ultimate reason we still exist on earth as the church for discipleship. What is that? That is evangelism, sharing the gospel so that people get saved in order that we might then grow them as disciples of Christ. By teaching them all things, so the the issue at, at heart that has to be really clear, that has to be uh, uh, substantiated from Scripture, is that there is no uh, there is no biblical differentiation between salvation and discipleship. They mm-hmm. are one and the same, mm-hmm. right? And so that is a massive pothole, a massive pitfall that people fall into and how do they fall into it i'm glad you asked they fall into it from this verbiage of rededication these this verbiage of of you can receive jesus as savior but not as lord what does that mean that means you can mentally assent to the truths about jesus and even the truths about yourself but you're unwilling to stop your sin you're unwilling to abandon your life For Christ. But you've been saved because you've assented to mentally. You've recognized, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus is the Savior. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so, in so mentally assenting to that, you pray a prayer and say, yes, Jesus, I'd like you to forgive me of my sins. I'd like you to, quote, come into my heart. And because I recognize you died for my sins. Well, all of those things are nice to say but if you haven't turned from your sin and started following Christ you're not saved i don't care how many times you pray that prayer i don't care how many times you mentally assent to the fact that jesus is is the savior you're a sinner the demons believe all of that mm-hmm. <laughs> and james chapter 2 right faith without works is dead it's no it's of no use so what the bible teaches from beginning to end is the reality that you must abandon yourself you must hate yourself in the sense of you must see your life and say, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for the Lord. That is nothing more than biblical repentance, where you see your sin, you turn away from yourself, because it's not just your sin. It's that you look at and despise. It's the source of it, which is yourself, your own heart, right? Again, the modern church wants to take sin and compartmentalize it as just bad acts you do. And it takes all the edge off, right? That's the modern church. Make it easy. Make it palatable. Take the edge off. No, the edge is this. You sin because you're a sinner. You sin because you're wicked. You sin because you're a wretch. And you need and you deserve hell, judgment from God. And when you see that, you begin to say, I don't want anything to do with this. Lord, change me. Make me new. I'm tired of this. I understand my default mode is always rebellion. I'm going to turn away from you, but I hate it. I don't want it anymore. I'm done with this. Lord, save me. Now I'm going to follow you. That's then repentance and faith you turn away from yourself, and you run after God. This was the testimony of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55. This was the message they preach, because this was the message. This is what Abraham did, who's the model of faith. What did he do? He left Ur of the Chaldeans, he walked away from his pagan idolatry, and he went out into a land he did not know, simply because this is what God told him to do, and he trusted. So he turned away from his old ways, and he started following God. He's the model of faith and you can even see the model of repentance in that and leaving behind the old to put on the new as paul would say in ephesians 4 and colossians 3 so this reality is the call of the gospel and then you live that life right in submission to the gospel you don't live it perfectly so that is that is um that is the issue that has to be clarified in our day because so many people are confused by that this came from the um sadly, the early 20th century with a bad theology known as Keswick theology. And this is uh, captured in the phrase, let go and let God. Mm. And, and this was what was called higher life theology. And what it meant was, and this was this, this permeated, permeated our, our world, and it permeated even this region of our land, the East Coast, big time. And it still is here today, though most people can't recognize it and don't even know it. And it's this reality that of rededication, of higher life, where it's like, no, I'm saved, but then all of a sudden I have a crisis moment, and now now I, I, I'm going to take it serious. And now I'm going to move up and actually become a disciple of Christ, where before I was just saved, but now I just I just believed in Jesus as Savior, right? But now I really believe him as Lord, Meaning he's the boss. He's in charge of everything. So now I'm going to give him everything. Well, the reality is you 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 weren't saved before. You are saved now because you have committed to who Christ is. He's not just Savior. He is Lord. Okay. And you had your view of Christ was all was all uh, inaccurate at best. Right. It's always incomplete, but it was utterly inaccurate. And your desire thinking that you could cling to your own sin while following Christ is an utter lie right and so so that reality of of having some higher level of living right that's not that's that's how people interpret mark 8 they see jesus saying there come on it's time to now step it up no jesus is saying come on it's time to turn away from yourself And the reason why that I'm so emphatic about that, because the context is so clear. He's talking to unbelievers. He is not talking to just believers. He is talking to the 12, and clearly the 11 had abandoned all. That's what they say in Mark 10, and that's what we see throughout Mark 1 to 8. They did abandon all. They left their nets. They left their families. They left everything, be it imperfectly and be it incompletely. They left it all. They were genuine, true believers, even though they didn't understand everything, just like us. So, But what you cannot deny is when he calls the crowd, he calls unbelievers, pagan unbelievers, probably mostly Gentiles who hadn't abandoned all. So that call is not simply a call to higher living. They hadn't even considered following him at that level. And he wants to be really, really clear. If you're going to follow me, it demands everything of you, not not the part you want to give and hold on to. And so that is huge that is listen that's a call that people are like well who can do that who does that exactly when you start to see it clearly that should be your response because that was exactly what the disciples say in mark chapter 10 Mm -hmm. when jesus looks at the rich young ruler who wouldn't give up anything Mm -hmm. this is evangelism 101 jesus doesn't look at the rich young ruler and say you know what i know you've been rich your whole life it's going to be really hard for you and so i'm not going to ask you to give up your riches yet just pray to me and see me as lord and 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 just that's enough and then slowly you'll start to give it up no Because he already did that, right? He comes to him. He calls him rabbi and says, what? What must I do to be saved? I mean, it's like the greatest question in the world. And Jesus says, what? You got to give it all up. You got to give it all up and follow me. And the text is clear. He's unwilling to give it up. And so you see right there. And then Jesus says, what? It's like going through the eye, the camel, through the eye of a needle, Mm -hmm. which is impossible. Mm -hmm. to Utterly impossible. And that's the point. So it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because he's unwilling to give up his life for Christ. And then the apostles look at him and go, Lord, this is impossible. Who can do this? Who can be saved? And, and, and you can almost see Christ starting to smile and going, aha, now you get it. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now we're starting to understand the gospel correctly. Now let me get to your question about rededication. and Which question? Yeah. <laughs> because I got a whole lot more now. Good. Let's get to the point of rededication and, and all of that. Let me just say this. Um, oftentimes, um, there, let me say it this way. Do believers sin? Yes. Can believers sin severely? Yes. We see that throughout Scripture. Just look at the Corinthian church. Let's just take that for an example. Mm. They are called saints, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They are called holy ones. And then the rest of the letter, we see that they are vile, wicked, conniving, deceiving, confused immoral i mean we see all kinds of stuff going on there right mm-hmm. and of course colossians chapter three why in the world does paul give all those commands to not sin to not be immoral to not be involved in these things why because believers can right those temptations are there those realities are there believers can sin believers do sin so i want to be clear about that mm-hmm. right and so when a believer sins what is the call then the Bib- remember what i said earlier it's all about being clear in our language, right? So where in the Bible does it talk about rededicating your life? Where is that in Scripture? Where's that language in Scripture?
0: I'm not sure. I, I can't think of any place where okay.
1: it says that. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't use that verbiage. Okay. Here's here's what it uses. Repent. Turn a, turn back to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Do believers walk away from the Lord in the sense of sin? Absolutely. Are believers called to come back? Absolutely. That's what we do every time we sin. Every time we sin, we've turned our back on God. And every time we confess our sins, First John 1, 9, and return back to the Lord, that's us repenting and returning. And so there's a sense in which um, that's what we do daily. That's our life, right? We're constantly repenting, constantly confessing, constantly turning back to the Lord as we walk in holiness and pursue righteousness and fight the flesh, right? I mean, that's, that's the calling of true Christianity. So the idea of, of rededication, if you mean by that, again, here's the confusion of language. If you mean by rededication, you need to repent and return to the Lord because you're walking in sin, that's exactly what the Bible teaches, right? He that is in sin, repent, turn away, turn back to the Lord, come back, right? That's every New Testament letter in some form or fashion calls the church to what? Deal with sin. Mm-hmm. Deal with sin. I mean, what is Matthew 18, right? You got a believer who's in sin, what are you supposed to do? Go and call him to repentance. Right. That's what it's all about, right? And what is uh, Titus 3 confronting those who oppose? What is 1st Timothy Uh, Or uh, 2 Timothy 2, the elder must confront those who contradict so that the Lord may perhaps grant them repentance so that they can turn away from the snare of the devil and walk in the truth. I mean, this is what we do. This is our life. So if you mean rededication, if you mean that synonymous with living a life of confession and repentance and turning back to the Lord, then okay, I'm with you. I think that I, I don't use that term. I don't think it's helpful to use the term. I think it's not accurate. I think it's not clear. I think it's confusing. But if that's what you mean by it, I have I have no problem with you using it. I'm not going to use it because it's so filled with baggage. It's so filled with confusion. Yeah. See the,
0: okay. So if I'm picturing myself, I'm sitting in the sanctuary when this was going on. Uh, you know, when I when I was younger, this call would basically be coming from the pulpit as a. Uh, A call to maybe a kid who grew up in the church And when he grew up in the church He got a little older And then he just started to not come to church So he was you know, he wasn't coming to church anymore. He was just doing his own thing. Maybe he got into drugs, or you know, something like that. So it was a big moment because I remember many kids that I grew up with, and even you know, young people that were older than me that were in the church, that were you know, people that you look to as strong Christians, and yep. you know, were were studying and teaching and all these things, and then they went away from the church. Uh, they got into the drug life. One particular guy that I that I know, uh, he was actually. Shot, uh, I think, once say thirteen times. Yep. uh, Paralyzed from the legs down. They had to amputate one of his legs. I mean, it was really bad. He almost died. Yep. Um, But then it was huge when he rededicated his life to Christ. Yep. You know, that was that was the, the, the verbiage that was used. Yeah. Um, so, and that's more, of, that's more of the the, the brain, because like what you just said, and let me make sure I, I'm clear, what you just said was actually extremely helpful because it made me turn my direction to a new light as to what God is really saying versus what man was trying to say. Yes. But in this case, you know, biblically, what is that... You might have already answered the question, but I'm just
1: giving you that other one. It looks like she yeah. has, you has know, another answer. So, so I'll again let the truth talk. First John <laughs> yeah. chapter two, right? right. So, um, first sure. John chapter two. First John chapter two. Let's start just for a little bit of context here. Verse eighteen, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore. We know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. What is he talking about there? He's talking about this reality of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So the problem with preachers doing what you said is there are, in some ways, on their best effort. And, and, I, and, and let me be really clear. I don't know. I have nobody in mind, and I'm not judging anybody uh, in, in their heart. I know most people do what they do, including myself, when, I, when I'm inaccurate or wrong, is doing it with with the best motives, right? Mm-hmm. And, You know, nobody wants to lead anybody astray, and nobody wants to minimize this or that. You know, false teachers and charlatans do, but uh, most people, even when they're when they're using that language, they're not trying to be confusing. I don't mean that at all. Yet, just because they're not trying to be that, doesn't mean they they aren't being mm-hmm. that, right? Right. So, I don't want to I don't want anybody to misjudge me and hear me as being, you know. Uh, wrongfully harsh, because what I'm about to say will definitely sound harsh. But when that language is used, okay, what that is in the psychology of the pastor is nothing more than him trying to minimize, whether he knows it or not, minimizing the severity of the gospel. He's minimizing the cost of the gospel. He's minimizing the call of the gospel, and he's saying, no, no, I know you prayed that prayer when you were a kid, and you trusted Christ, but you have been living in immorality, debilitating, Botchery, drug abuse, thievery, uh, gangs—you you've been a you've been a, a, a wicked Christian. But now come back to the Lord. No, are you kidding me? Who does that? Hmm. Who lives like that? Mm-hmm. Yes, Christians can sin. Listen, and you're a believer, and you sin—you can't live with it. It will haunt you. It will hound you. You can't sleep at night. That's conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And yes, that doesn't come overnight. That doesn't come all in a moment. But it comes, right? Well, I mean, what is what is Psalm thirty-two? David talks about Psalm thirty-six. I I, the, I filled my couch with tears. My bones wasted away because I kept silent about my sin. Mm-hmm. What is that? Was that just for David? No. What does it mean when Peter looks, denies Christ three times with cursings? Literally, Peter is saying, I damn myself if I was ever associated with this man. Are you kidding me? What worse language could ever be used, right? I mean, he's cursing his very life because if it's true that he walked with Christ, he's blasphemous on every level. Mm -hmm. And how does he walk out? Like holding his head up high and saying, here, let's go down to the pub and get a drink. Let's go down and get some food. Let's, you know, I'm glad this is all done. No, the text says he and Christ make eye contact and he weeps bitterly. And mm-hmm. then we see him next when he, when Christ uh, resur- uh, is resurrected and he can't even really talk to Christ. Yeah. He's so broken over it. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be a believer in sin right that's what we see that's why matthew 18 is so helpful right when a Person sins, you go after them and you love them and you confront them and then you go after them again. By the time you get to that fourth step of church discipline, Mm -hmm. you treat them as an unbeliever. Why? Because they're living as an unbeliever. Only God knows the heart. Yet God says the church has the keys, the keys of authority to Mm -hmm. declare what He has already declared in heaven. We have the right and the authority to declare it on earth. And what He has declared in heaven is right here. And it says this if you're living in an unrepentant, ongoing, belligerent lifestyle of sin you cannot claim to be a believer right that's what heaven has said Mm -hmm. right and so that's what we declare again only god knows the heart but we are following god's word and so they go out from us because they were never with us so when that language of rededication is used and it's only used in that context where it's like you've lived the wicked lifestyle you've you know and it's like come back to the lord no the call is get saved You were never with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Proof is, look at how you've been living. You've just prayed a prayer. You've just tried to hold on to your life. You have yet to abandon all and follow Christ. Mm -hmm. Now the call is, stop playing games. Mm -hmm. Stop playing church. Leave that sin behind. For all that it will give you is not even complete yet. It will kill you, destroy you. It is gumming after you. The only hope you have is to turn to Christ in full repentance and faith and live for him. Yes, you're going to continue to sin, but you're not going to go back to that cesspool and keep living in it over and over again without repentance, without agony, without without uh, fighting, right? That's what Romans 7 is all about. You see Paul dealing with his own sin, showing that it's like, hey, I don't want to do this, yet I keep doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see the struggle, mm-hmm. right? That person that that speaks that doesn't need rededication. They just need to keep fighting, mm-hmm. right, because that's the true Christian life. Right. So that's the problem with that language. It minimizes the gospel, it, or it utterly um, it utterly destroys the gospel and makes it simply a prayer you pray about Jesus being Savior rather than about Jesus saying what he said. Yeah. I'm the Lord. Your life is mine. You follow me or you're done. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it is. And that's the call. And so I don't like that language. I don't think it's helpful. It's not biblical. You don't see it anywhere in Scripture right? What you see is the call to turn back, which is the call to repent, turn back from your sins, repent, follow the Lord. A really good example of this is the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. The prodigal son is not a picture of a saved person. The prodigal son is a picture of the unregenerate, right? The two unregenerates, both of them are unregenerate, both the, the older and the younger. And he goes off and he, and he lives his, his wicked lifestyle, right? And, and, and yet what, what happens? He comes back. He comes back, and and it's the joys of salvation. It's the joys of 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 complete and utter restoration. Because we've all turned away. Isaiah fifty three six. We've all turned away from God. We've all gone our own way. And, uh, and the Lord has laid on Christ, the iniquity of us all. But the blessing is if we will turn back to him and follow him, not in a higher level of discipleship, but in true salvation, mm-hmm. we will have full forgiveness and restoration. That's the, that's the glory of that great, awesome parable. It's a picture of the true gospel. And again, in the context, you're like, oh, I don't know, man, I've, I've heard that preached so many times where it's like a Christian. No, read the context. What is the context? There is rejoicing in heaven over every single sinner that repents and trusts in the Lord. That's it's all about salvation. Mm-hmm. And that story is the final of the three stories that are told about the lost mm-hmm. and the rejoicing that comes. And so, yeah, no, that this 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 language of rededication and, and whatnot is just a part of a bad theology known as Keswick theology, higher living theology that watered down the gospel. It finds its impetus in John Wesley and Methodism. And, um, yeah, that's where it comes from. Wow. Y'all should see my face right now. <laughs> yeah, that's – you can trace it. You can go back and, and K E K E S W I C K I think if you google it google it and see it'll come right up cuz I have some questions about that Yeah yeah and I know, I know more about this than I want to know but <laughs> just because I was raised in this and I know this I know this theology well because again we live in a region where it bleeds this theology seminaries taught this theology and most of them didn't even know it didn't even know it because again to to man centered to man-driven uh many of evangelistic endeavors were driven by keswick theology um you can even see it altar calls all of that you know that's what that is and um and so again uh, well-meaning people no doubt about it meaning well but uh, not biblically accurate at all
0: because the reason why i was asking this question one because obviously it was you know ingrained in me as a kid and i'm trying to uningrain a lot of this stuff and yeah. and just pull it out the other side to it is that um one i would say that's the first the, the, the second one is you know people will uh have this question about the sin in their life if, if when they sin like what happens next yeah i think the third part was um one statement
1: but go ahead can, but again i i, I don't want to well, I do want to belabor it. Let me let me let me no, speak this, clearly. This, I want to belabor that's it because the podcast it, is for. <laughs> thank you. It needs to be belabored mm-hmm. because, again, I, I really feel like uh, this is a this is a universal issue because the heart of man is 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 uh, the same. However, there is an Americanized problem here that we are so we are so prone to see ourselves better than we are, mm-hmm. and we are so prone to take the lowest common denominator. I mean, that's what we pride ourselves on as Americans, right? Mm-hmm. This ecumenical mindset. Let's just all get along. Let's find the lowest common den- Let's agree to disagree, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot that needs to be say about, said about that when it comes to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Agree to disagree or defend the truth. Because mm-hmm. somebody's right and somebody's wrong. right? And we're called to defend the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole other podcast. But let me say this. The reality of american christianity is we lower the bar so much that we're not even on the playing field anymore we lower the bar of what the gospel is we lower the bar of what a christian is we lower the bar of what faithfulness is to where we're not even on the map anymore we're not even in the bible anymore it's just this 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 uh, watered down um uh, play-doh type person Right. Rather than the 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 true follower of Christ that lives for the Lord and has abandoned all again, he's not perfect Mm -hmm. because here's why the Bible describes Christianity in one word, a fight. Mm -hmm. This is language that is almost eviscerated from the church today. It is. No one talks about it being a fight. Everybody wants to describe it as a stroll through mm-hmm. the daisies mm-hmm. to heaven. No, it's not. It's a bloody, nasty battle with your flesh, number one, with the world, number two, and with your your enemy, the devil, number three. And there's nothing about that that is pretty. There's nothing about that that is easy. There's nothing about that that is clean. It's nasty. It's ugly. It's dirty. It's filthy. Mm-hmm. That's biblical Christianity mm-hmm. where you are Fighting nonstop, you are failing nonstop, but you are finding God faithful nonstop, mm-hmm. and you keep turning back to Him, and you find Him more faithful, and you keep growing in Him, and you find yourself growing stronger, even though the battle keeps raging. Mm-hmm. That's Christianity, not this. Though that was that you you come to Jesus, you'll never have any problems. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You have more problems when you come to Jesus. Yep. That's the way it works, mm-hmm. because not that the problems weren't there, because they were. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the clarity of the Word of God will now help you see those problems for what they've always been. And now you're going to have to deal with them. Now you're going to have to fight them. Listen, and here's the deal. Because you want to. That's the part that is missing. Mm-hmm regeneration, being born again, John 3, gives us a new heart. What does that mean? A new desire, a new motive, a new passion, a new love where I don't want to love my sin. I don't want to love myself. Yes, the flesh is there that's constantly pulling me in in that direction of self, but the Spirit of God has given me a new heart that pulls me back, right? And there's this tug of war, Galatians 5, fight of the flesh, fight of the Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fill the lust of the flesh Mm -hmm. right and so that desire is there if that desire is not there then what why would you ever think you were born again Mm -hmm. if you have no desire to do what's right if you have no hunger and thirst for righteousness if if you have no longing to please the lord and glorify him dear listener i have no idea why you would ever call yourself a christian Hmm. That is what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. Again, you're going to fail. You're going to sin. But what brings you back? It's that desire, Mm -hmm. that desire to come back, that desire. That is regeneration. That is sovereign grace. That is the work of God. And if you don't have that, you're fighting a battle you will never win. You need to stop right now and beg of God to give you a new heart, to give you that desire and admit to him that you don't have it. Mm -hmm. And he will save you and he will give it as he's promised. But this idea of that you can live your Christian life any old way you want, and this is what this teaches. Dallas Theological Seminary for years taught this, right? And that's one of the reasons why it permeated our land, because that was the premier seminary for so long. And there was a section, not the whole seminary, but there was a section that still lives on that teaches this kind of stuff. And they taught where you could be saved and live an utterly sinful lifestyle Completely devoid of any godliness and still be saved, so that you could confess Christ and then live as a sh- as a sh- as a harlot, live as a prostitute, live as a drug addict, live as as the most wicked, wretched individual, a murderer. I mean, not not create those acts because every believer can notice. I said live in them. Mm-hmm. You could live in them. With no conviction, no anxiety of of, of uh, being uh, beaten down by the Spirit, right? You could live in them and still claim to be a, a Christian and still claim that you're going to heaven. That's that, crazy. That is utterly bi- bi- unbiblical. Mm-hmm. It's utterly ungodly. That's hellish, mm-hmm. right? But that's where the language of rededication now comes from. Wow. Because it's out of that teaching that then says, listen, you're already a Christian, we know that. We're not going to tell you because again, we're 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 Plato people in America. We can't tell anybody they're wrong. So we're not going to tell you you're not a Christian. Far be it from us. Mm-hmm. Far be it from us to say what the Bible says. We're not going to say that because we want everybody to be happy. So we're not going to tell you you're going to hell because you're living like hell. We're going to tell you, "You know what? You're a Christian, but it's time for you to get serious. It's time for you to turn over a new leaf and live for the Lord." Are you kidding me? Now you're, you have totally eviscerated the, the word of God of its power.
0: You know, what's funny is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going uh, to, this, this is a, this is a small branch a squirrel trail right here. Uh, please, if you always, if, if anybody is listening and, and follow me on Twitter, uh, you probably in the same circle as me, uh, when he's talking about Dallas Theological Seminary, there was someone that went to Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary and his famous, uh, his famous saying is gold hallelujah silver hallelujah uh uh drip is what he's talking about that's eric mason that's that's a one person that came out of it. that's a little small little little real squirrel yeah, trail
1: he's the one that's that's promoting reparations the woke yeah the, absolutely the woke, woke church which yeah. is not in the bible again. That, he, he wrote that book right he did yep,
0: he wrote that, wrote that book yeah so the that that was just a little 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 side note but here's here's the real thing that i think that what you said both answers it and sets it up for you to say something else about it because one of the uh in 2020 um that actual a, a statement or song actually came out and the words to it um that, that everybody you know would you know would really uh, uh, agree or not agree but but know these words is a song that came out and the the lyrics are try jesus not me. Oh my. And when I heard those words that was a saying try Jesus yeah. or try Christ is is something that like Every all the time, and even okay. in this same in this in this same uh, situation yeah. of the altar call with the you know try Jesus, try Christ, and you're rededicating your life. You you've done everything else, and okay, in a way, it's a uh, can I set it up just a little bit more? I, I, I know you want to, but uh, but I just want to add something because this this is just add f- for more for you to say. Because what ha- what happens is they fired up. I, yeah, that's that's what I want. I want <laughs> I, I want all the uh, the GPMs right now. So uh, so it's it's like it's like what happens is they want you to come to and you just answered it in a way because what they want you to come to is like this euphoric uh, age of Aquarius type of Christianity. You've you've answered that where you say Christianity is is solved, you know, summed up in one word. It's it's fight and that's not what they're talking about it's in this whole it's death. Yeah, it's death as well. Yeah, so it's, it's that all to die. That's kind of like the 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 one side of it, but then the other part is to try Jesus. It's like the the trying Christ type of thing since you tried
1: everything else. Yeah, well, again, again, buddy. I mean, you're just you're just answering or you're just furthering what I've said and you've heard me say many times that American Christianity is a disaster. mm mm-hmm. Mhm and i and i say that with no pride i say that with tears i say it with a broken heart cuz i'm part of that i'm i'm an american right in this sense this is my culture this is my land in the sense of this is where i live and this is how i was raised and and this is what we see all around us mm-hmm. american christianity is not biblical christianity mm-hmm. american christianity is a is a is a, a deformed is a is a, an utter abomination of what the Bible teaches, and I'll prove it to you based upon what you said. When I grew up, when I was growing up, that was a famous bumper sticker. Now in this era, it's a song, and it was Try Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Give Jesus a try. Here, mm-hmm. here was the bumper sticker, and then they turned it into a shirt, and now it's a song. So it went like this. Give Jesus a try. The devil will always take you back right that was the bumper sticker and and everybody had it and then there was a shirt and now you know the song is kind of promoting the same thing Mm -hmm. now you know but it wasn't a christian song let me put it that way okay but But, but that theology right like every theology is there truth in that of course there's some truth in it it's never it's it's never about partially true there's only one truth it's all truth or it's not truth right? Partial truth is a full lie. It's a full error. And in American Christianity, we're content with partial truths. As long as I get a little bit of truth in there and then water it down with all of these platitudes, all of these psych, uh, psychology, psychologized emotional terms that kind of woo people and make it easier and appeal to them, then I'm okay. No, once you've Once you fail to share the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you are sharing a lie. Mm -hmm. You're sharing error. And that's the American church. It's filled with half-truths. The gospel that is preached in America is filled with half-truths at best. Mm -hmm. And that's why the American church embraces it, because it's like, oh, yeah, there's some truth in that. Oh, that does my heart well. Yes, I see that. Give Jesus a try. Listen, listen. That is utterly unChrist-like because Jesus never said, "Give me a try." <laughs> come on, try again. We don't know Jesus. What do you have to lose? Yes. Come on, <laughs> come on, guys. Look, look how look, look look at me. Right? No. The call is always a command. Mm-hmm. The gospel is not optional. Jesus doesn't say, "Take it or leave it." He says, as I said on Sunday, Jesus is emphatic in Mark eight as he is in Mark 10, and it's this, Jesus says, as he says in John 14, it's my way or the highway. Jesus is the most um, uh, narrow-minded person in the world. What does that mean? He is the one that says, if you don't follow my way, you're wrong. Think about it. If I say that, you're a bigoted, narrow-minded, prideful, arrogant, yeah, and I would be, but Jesus says that, And he's not because he's a son of god Hmm. he knows the truth Hmm. and he says there is only one way there is only one truth there is only one life and it's found in me think about how unpolitically correct that is Hmm. that's what he says and he doesn't say give it a try he says and if you don't follow it you're going to hell Hmm. that's how jesus talked that's what he preached Hmm. you would never know that today in the american church what you would hear is come on give him a try no Jesus says, if you don't deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's my way or the highway to hell. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus in the, in the sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the famous sermon that he preached, what did he say? He said, there's two roads, there's two paths, and one leads to hell and the other leads to heaven. Which one are you on? And let's be reminded, the one that leads to heaven is narrow Mm -hmm. and it is hard Mm -hmm the one that leads to hell is wide and easy mm-hmm. which is it right i mean look at how he preaches it's not try me and then he says what strive to enter the narrow gate yeah fight right again we we see that the 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 american gospel is a sham and it's a watered down version of what jesus taught at best mm-hmm. of course what Joel Osteen and again people will say well that's an extreme no it's not think about it he has the largest church by all intents and purposes the largest church in America the largest following and then go to Stephen Furtick who probably has you know one of the top five largest followings of America I mean that's American Christianity that's not they're not an anomaly they're not an exception they are the rule like that's that's it and then that version, some in some form or fashion, filters down through all the 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 sections of our land, and whether it's it's whether it's um, in its entirety or whether it's in parts of it, it infects the American church, and and the reason for that is because the Word of God is not preached and the gospel is not declared in its purity, and uh, so it's 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 really really sad, and yet. I pray that the Lord is raising up a generation. I believe he is. I see it. I, I believe he's raising up a generation of prudent, discerning young men and women. I keep meeting them. I keep interacting with them, and it blows my mind. And I think I have been praying for years that the Lord would do a work in our land of waking us up to the fallacy of the false gospel, the fallacy of, of uh, wrong doctrine, the fallacy of preaching and living in the shallows, right? That's all we've done. We're like in the kiddie pool, right? We live in the shallows, right? We're happy in the shallows. Don't talk about doctrine. Don't talk about theology. Don't Let's not talk about anything that divides us. Let's just be un- unity. Let's be unity. Let's be harmony. Let's be love. Well, what is that if you don't have truth? Mm-hmm. Truth is the glue of all of that. Truth is the content and the source and the fuel of all love, unity, and harmony, right? If you don't have truth, you got nothing, and uh, I've been praying that the Lord would wake us up, the Lord would do a work. And man, if he's not doing it, I'm shocked because I'm watching young people come by droves. I'm watching young people hungry for the truth and, and longing to live for righteousness in Christ, longing to give their life for him. And man, it's exciting. It's exciting. So, uh, for all the negativity that you might think I, I have spread or, or even declared, I, I see the Lord at work, and I'm excited about it, and I pray it doesn't stop because that's our only hope. Our only hope is to get back to the Word, to declare the Word, to preach the Word, to defend the Word, and to live in the light of the Word. Anything else is, is, uh, is a fruitless and hopeless endeavor at best. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I... Uh... <laughs>
0: I want to keep going. I have a bunch more questions, but I'm going to end the podcast here because I don't want it to be too okay. overwhelming. but for before you we do, all right, here we did go. did we
1: end. Did we answer because I know you're, you're you' have history in this and your upbringing with the rededication. Did that make sense? It made way more sense than rededication.
0: okay, than, so then so if you understand
1: rededication it. as repentance, mm-hmm. right, then okay, I get what you're saying. It's not helpful. But I, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're 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 saying come back to the Lord because you have strayed from Him. Because every sinner does. I get it. It's just not good language. It's not biblical language. It's not helpful. But if you mean rededication as a higher level of living, you've accepted Jesus as Savior. Now you need to accept Him as Lord. That's utterly unbiblical. That's false teaching. That's
0: I'll give it to you two yeah. more ways. Then that that I understand it. Uh, one way is that uh, uh, one they're really. One, the altar
1: call is more for an emotional uh, movement than yeah, it, it is. That's, again, again, yeah. that's nowhere in the Bible. Right. No, there is no. Altar. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, "Again, you always, you always, you're always safe if you just follow Jesus." Mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus said, "How many times? Count the cost." Yeah. Before you come, you better go home and you better think this through. You mm-hmm. better build out your ledger sheet. I talked about that on Sunday. Right. You better write it out. You know what is profit? What is gain? You better mm-hmm. think this through because it's going to cost you everything. Yeah. But when you compare the cost of your own life versus the cost of eternal life, mm-hmm. it's no cost at all. That's his point. So yeah, this whole idea of running down an aisle and and raising a hand and all of that—again, well-meaning people, well-meaning people that I again pulling on heartstrings that desire good and want that. I don't deny the, I don't deny at all their motive in the sense of they're trying and they're and they're they're thinking rightly. But again, I think that often becomes an emotional ploy rather than a biblical plea.
0: No, it's definitely an emotional ploy because it's three It's always three calls in that it's uh, to, to be saved, to rededicate and then church membership. Like those are the three <laughs> inside of that at altar call. But what I'm hearing from your answer is a couple of things. One, uh, the emotional. Well, three things. One, it's it's an emotional roller coaster, basically, that pulls you in. Uh, the second would be really the the call for. Okay, setting the stage that no, I don't think that there should be an altar call in a service. Let me let me let me let me uh, set that as a foundation. The second one would be that when you get down to it, when you do that, when you're in that rededication, or you feel as if you need to rededicate. That's not really the conviction of the Holy spirit. That's actually the conviction of a person, uh, to pull back, which really shouldn't come from, uh, it really shouldn't come from like, uh, uh, in that, in that instance, it really should come from you digging and reading in the scriptures and allowing the scripture to pour over you. And then your sin just eating away at you, like you were talking about David. But then the third part of it is that if you are in a biblical church, then that shouldn't just come from it shouldn't just be an internal struggle it should be an external struggle as well because the people and the the people that you're in fellowship with at a local church should also be saying hey you know this is this is not right where are you Or checking in on you and making sure that you are are walking and and, and, am i right with those three things
1: yeah yeah and 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 the call of the gospel should be given in every service And when it is, the call of the gospel isn't to raise a hand or to come, you know, up front or walk an aisle again. Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't ever do that. Paul Mm -hmm. doesn't do that. What it is, is it's a call to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. So we point people to him. Go now. Go now. Oh, dear sinner. Mm -hmm. Turn now to Christ. You can do it. And you've heard me say this how many times? You can do it right now where you're sitting. Turn to Christ this day. Believe in him. Repent of your sin. Right? You don't need to get out of your seat to do that. And getting out of your seat isn't, isn't... it doesn't demonstrate anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's your heart. Your heart needs to break, and your heart needs to turn, and your heart needs to submit to the Lord above all else, and so that can happen anytime, anywhere, Um, and so, yeah, that's the call, and of course, oftentimes, discussions need to be had. Questions need to be, Pastor, did I hear right? Am I supposed, yeah, then you come, and you have a discussion with an elder, with a pastor, or with a fellow brother, sister, and I mean, that should be happening all the time, and praise the Lord, it is, even within our own body, and as people are, are being confronted with truth and being provoked to think these things out, and people are searching out that, and what a blessing that is. And so, yeah, but the the walking the aisle and raising the hand and signing a card, that all that all just is manned. There's nothing lo- about that in the Bible. And that is man's invention again. Trying to help, but you don't need to help the word. Mm-hmm. You just need to let the word do its work. Mm-hmm. Good. Can I end it now? Yes, you can.
0: Okay. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Yep. Because uh, I, I know I get I got you fired up. So sorry. You know I know how it goes. I I don't want to make sure yeah, it, make sure I don't uh, 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 quench the fire uh, it's, too it's,
1: too quickly. It's a real problem. It is. It definitely is a real problem. And it man. breaks my heart. Yeah. It breaks my heart because I'm the COVID nineteen has only demonstrated this even more. As churches don't aren't even meeting, mm-hmm. many churches in our region aren't even meeting. And when they and those that are meeting, not all of them, but some of them, are so sh- like they're just meeting for kumbaya, you know, TED talks, mm-hmm. right? There's there's no worship, there's no fellowship, there's no saturation of the scriptures. And again, that just proves the point. There's this in, there's this enamoration with the BLM movement and political activism rather than the mission of discipleship, which is the calling of the church. And so this reality has only grown deeper in, in our context and in my life. And, um, I, I'm pretty passionate about it because this is what God has called us to. Yeah. So I unashamedly get excited about it because the Bible is very clear. I saw a quote from Vody that that says,
0: I will not, uh, use scripture. Um, this is a, a loose quote. I will not, uh, twist scripture to uh, to conform to the culture
1: culture needs to conform to scripture that's it yeah that's it but yeah. in American Christianity is 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 that where it is constantly conforming scripture conforming the church to mm-hmm. the culture mm-hmm. and the biblical church has always stood against the culture yeah. has always been a light on a hill mm-hmm. but now we're uh, more or less a candle under the ground mm-hmm. that's a
0: that's a whole podcast right there. Yep. <laughs> That's a whole podcast. Thank you all for tuning in today. Uh, we appreciate you all listening. Also, please uh, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. On Twitter, it is The Truth Talks P1. On Instagram, it is The Truth Talks Podcast. Uh, please give us, uh, send us an email if you'd like, uh, the truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail message at 612 88 truth. Thank you all for listening. And here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. gospel of jesus christ it all starts with god god is holy he is all high above all men and he is the ultimate set apart being that sits in the heaven and does what he pleases he is the creator and he cannot be near sin the sin or missing the mark the wrong we do that's where we come in because we are sinful Creatures, And as we cannot be near God, we cannot see him. Neither can we go to heaven when we die. As a matter of fact, we are so opposite of God's holiness. Our sin deserves his wrath and we deserve to go to hell. We deserve to die for our sins, which makes us helpless. And it's really what we deserve. Romans 623 says the wages of sin is death. But it all makes sense, right? We have done many bad things, and the old saying, you do the crime, you do the time, fits here, correct? Even the good that we do can't cover for our bad. It's all seen the same way in God's eyes. He calls our deeds, our good deeds, filthy rags. One-time-use bloody rags. That's our good deeds, So imagine our bad deeds. We are wretched, lost at sea, and nothing we can do can make us good enough to stand next to a holy God. Well, that is, no one but God. That's where Jesus steps up on the scene. He came to earth without fanfare, though he is a king and deserves all of it. He, a part of the Godhead, Decided to make himself a baby. Dependent on another person for everything. Imagine the holy God condescending to purpose. Two things. Living the perfect life for us. And dying the death that we deserved. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But because of Jesus living the perfect life on earth, he deserved life. But He chose death. Why? Because only a holy God could live perfectly and stand in our place of execution. So not only did he die for our horrible deeds, he also lived the perfect life in our place because we certainly cannot. Now we have a choice. We can hear this good news and either accept it, turn from our sin and toward the Christ and accept his free gift. That same scripture in Romans I mentioned has a second part of that verse. Here's the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we leave this earth from our physical bodies, we stand at the judgment throne of God with our spiritual bodies. At that point, we are judged on what we did. Did we accept the easy way to live or the difficult way to live? Imagine there are two roads in front of you, a fork in the road, if you will. One side has a smoothed out path, no bumps, and the dirt is packed down for a smooth journey. Very wide road and a comfortable, easy walk. You can easily see the end of that road, and it is a cliff that falls into what can only be described as an abyss. There is no way around it. It is certain death. The other path is rocky and hard to walk, very narrow, and it goes uphill, just adding to the difficulty. You can see the end of that path. It leads to a place of peace, a long ways away, and a very bright light at the top of the hill, and there is a cross. Most people will choose the easy path, a few, the hard path. The question is, which will you choose? I implore you to turn away from the easy path and choose the hard way. Or in another words, repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This same Lord is Lord over all, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13 Saved from what? I'm glad you asked. Saved from God's wrath and judgment. Ultimately, saved from our sin that so easily entangles. And this choice is yours to reject these words and choose the easy path. Or repent and believe and choose the path that will be hard now but brings life. Thanks for tuning in this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at thetruthtalkspodcast. And visit our website at
1: bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Belcroft Bible Church.